Oh, hey, how's it going? Welcome to the first ever episode of There Will Be A Test. I'm your host, Dave Thornton, and today I'm joined by some very funny people. We've got Geraldine Hickey, Ivana Ristagueta, and Damien Callanan. And our experts are Associate Professor William Partlett, Meteorologist Nate Byrne, and Associate Professor Rhiannon Evans. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to There Will Be A Test, the podcast that brings together experts and academics with Australia's best comedians. The comedians need to pay attention to the experts because, well, as the title's not pulling any punches, there will be a test. I am your host, Dave Thornton, and... Well, if I was going to say I'm an expert in anything, it'd be sleeping in. I'd have to say I got a master's in it. Unfortunately, my two young children have a doctorate and waking me up. So <laughs> bye-bye to that expertise, I guess. It's a pretty simple show. So rather than explain it, ah, why don't we just do it? Let's meet our guests. Hello, I'm Geraldine Hickey, and I'm an expert at telling the difference between a crocodile and an alligator. Ooh, <laughs> impressive. That's great. My name is Ivan Aristegueta. And uh, I did a, a course a year ago in Japan on how to make ramen. So I have a ramen sensei. So I am an expert in ramen. My name is Damien Callanan, and my particular area of expertise is uh, Flemish milliners of the late 17th century. Oh, what's and a milliner? A hat maker. Um, I get a little bit ropey in the 18th century, so don't ask, don't ask me shit about that. I pick up again in the 19th. <laughs> But uh, late seventeenth, I am all over the f- the flemo haddos. <laughs> <laughs> so you see a painting from eighteen fifty, and you're like, I can tell it, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm that's, all over that. That's like a, a rubon for sure. A rubon bonnet for sure. Jess, what is the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Oh, there's a few, um, and I say I'm an expert, but you know that hasn't been tested. But one of them has when their mouths shut, um, their teeth will be out. There will be some teeth on the outside. I can't remember which one's which, though, but because I'm, oh, I'm not an expert. Shut up. <laughs> I know. But I do know the um, an alligator has a wider snout. There's so many words that I'm learning here. So milliner, was that word? Uh, milliner, yeah. Milliner. And, and I, didn't, I know the word snout, but I didn't know that an alligator had a snout. Mm. Snout for me sounds like a cute thing, and the alligator snout is not, not cute. Ivana's no. definitely not. No. So how long did you study ramen making for? It was a course for a whole week yeah, right. in, in Osaka. Just myself, a translator, and a Japanese ramen master. And did you get, what did you get at the end of it? Did you get like just so much fun? Is this my, the, my, 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 hol- my dream holiday? It's just going to another country and learning the food in that. It's great. I think it was the smarter Asian noodle broth to learn because if you learn the Vietnamese version, I don't even know how to pronounce that. So I'd be at that. It comes from, from the French pot au feu, which ah. is, which is a pot with a stew and the pot au feu because French and Vietnam had a history. Right. It comes from pot au feu. So you, <laughs> so you can speak Spanish, English and just a bit of French. No, I just know about food. You're starting to annoy me now. <laughs> I once made ramen. By, while being chased by a crocodile. <laughs> Wearing, Wearing a Flemish hat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've revved up our grey matter, so we might as well move on to meeting our first expert. Our first expert is Associate Professor William Partlett from Melbourne University, and you're a specialist in Soviet history and has a Master's of Philosophy in Russian and East European Studies. It's almost as impressive as your expertise, <laughs> yeah, David. Yeah. yeah, you look familiar. So, Will, what are we going to focus on? 
Well, I think we're going to talk today about Vladimir Putin, who is, I think, in many ways, kind of embodies the kind of post 1990s kind of Russia, trying to understand what Russia's like, what what kind of threat it poses, and you know what we can understand about it. He seems like a warm and fuzzy character. This should be fun. Yeah. Well, when you look at his background, you can probably understand a little bit more why he might not be. But yeah, he's a he certainly is an important uh, important player in world politics. I'm curious about what made you, William. Study Russian politics and Russian history. What's You're curious. I'm suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> like, I understand if you want to learn about uh, Flemish milliners, yeah, yeah. but but <laughs> every but dream. Russian politics and history. Well, that's interesting. What what was the thing that made you? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I'm old enough to remember the Cold War and, you know, the 90s when I was growing up, it was this grand experiment. What was going to happen with Russia? Was it going to join the West or not? And obviously, I think we have a pretty clear answer now that there's a lot of historical legacies. And I just think it's a fascinating part of the world as a historian, as I mean, I was originally trained as a historian, just kind of understand the deep legacies of history and and how they play out. Um, And Putin is, I think, very much a product of of the historical um, situation he came out of. And I think trying to, and it's also a part of the world that's just really not well understood. Mm. Not many people speak Russian in the West. Not many people study it anymore. The field collapsed in the 1990s. Is there a dud part of Russian history because it's quite eventful certainly you know since the mid-19th century onwards is there like a it's like the early 1600s were a bit like oh not much happened I gotta be honest I mean they're milliners and not much to it I don't think they even wore hats in this <laughs> late 17th century <laughs> apart from the Cossacks <laughs> so let's start from the beginning where was he born what time what date so he's, I mean, he's from Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg. Uh, he was born in 1952, so he was born pretty much right after. I mean, for those of you who may not know that Leningrad was subjected to a two-year siege. Hundreds of thousands of people died, including his brother, uh, by the Germans during World War II. So he, he remembers a lot of suffering, I and mean, it would have been a pretty tough period. And he grew up in that, in that environment in the 1950s and 60s and became, uh, was told to go, went to law school and then became and joined the KGB. So he became uh, a lawyer. Mm. Worked for the KGB. His family wasn't involved in any of that. Not, not that we know of. I mean, I think he, you know, he, he apparently watched a lot of TV shows about, you know, the, about the asserting the Soviet, Soviet Union's interest in the world. He was really interested in that kind of stuff and, and that got him into, into the KGB. But it was, it was largely, I think, his own initiative. So, Will, how does one join the KGB? Do you, do you just like, is, just knock on the door and go, look, wouldn't mind having a crack or are they, or are they selected? <laughs> It's a good question. He actually went to the local KGB outpost oh, really? and asked. Yeah. And that's the story that, that he tells himself. At what uh, and age? They, and they said at age 16 or 17, and they said, you need to go to law school first and we'll consider you after that. Okay. And then after that, unclear what happened, but I presume he was tapped. But they, they, they kind of had an eye on him after that. I had to do law and medicine before they accepted me. But that's um, <laughs> not about you, me. How did you go? Oh, not great. Yeah, I mean, I lasted. Does that mean... You are in the KGB or? No, I did, I did training. No, but you are in oh, the KGB. Oh, maybe, yeah. You're uh, not. I might know some stuff. You De- are. Damien, what's the meaning of KGB? What's KGB stands for? Ah, uh, well, there's the contemporary version, but it actually means <laughs> King, King Gizzards. <laughs> Bum. <laughs> That's what it actually means. King, I thought King it was Gizzards. the amount of space on your computer. Yeah. <laughs> So the Iron Curtain falls, what are we talking, 90, what time, Will? 91. 91. 91, 92, yeah. I yeah. thought then the KGB just dissipated. 
Well, now they've got, the, of course, the successor organization called the FSB, another acronym for you, and that's and he becomes the head of that. The so they just changed branding yeah. and kept going. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Frank Spencer's bum. Yeah. That's why. <laughs> it is very good by spies, though. You know, yeah. Just change a couple of letters. <laughs> yeah. No one will know. <laughs> so then how did he, because that was under the Yeltsin right. regime through the 90s? Yep, that's right. And he moved up the ranks? He moves up the ranks, and then Yeltsin, very unexpectedly in 2000, says, look, I'm done, and I'm appointing this guy. <laughs> Do you say unexpectedly, or was well, he too drunk by then? He, he, he certainly wasn't speaking very clearly at that point. In, in what a very famous speech to the Russian people, he, you know, he said a kind of, in almost kind of slurred speech, I'm leaving, and you're going to have this guy, Putin, who no one had heard of, and he became president 20 years ago. Well, that means he's just a good spy. No do, we know what the, do we know what the genesis of that relationship was? Yeah, the genesis comes from he worked for he worked for the the Saint Petersburg mayor in the nineties who was close had a close relationship with yeah. Yeltsin. So that Russian politics generally works through informal relationships. So they had a close relationship, and he recommended Putin to be head of the FSB to move to Moscow, and that's that's how it all got started. So two thousand, he becomes mm. the top dog. Yeah. Now, can you explain to me how it works in that position? Because they have a President and a prime minister? Yeah. Changes but, every week. It feels like it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, but the president really runs the show. Um, and, you know, and he's, he, he did a little switcheroo in the 2008 to 2012, but he kind of kept control. But most of the power is in, is in the, in the office of the president, the prime minister. He's trying to change that back again, isn't he? He's kind of worked out that the, he's got the potential to, to make the prime minister the most important job and then he takes it that that can be. Yeah, real. at this point it looks like he won't be prime minister, but he's created this new state council position, uh, which where he would head up the state council. And that'll let him, when he steps down from the presidency in four years' time, which looks likely, he'll he'll head up the state council. <laughs> state council? Yeah. That's so right. he's just councilman of Russia entirely. The state, yeah. The state, which of course has important meaning in that part of the world. Um, but he'll, I mean, he'll step down from the president and say, we'll have a new president in four years' time, which is significant, I think. And he'll, he himself will lose some power. I mean, the president remains formally the, the kind of the head of state, the most important position. Is, so is this state council position, is this essentially his retirement plan? It is, yeah. It's essentially like you use the constitution as your kind of pension plan. And he's plan. just made up this position so he can just do something else. Well, he's, he didn't make up the state council. It existed before, but he's certainly strengthened it. And it looks like he's going to, we don't know yet exactly what's going to happen, but it looks likely he'll head it up as, and it'll give him some insurance to keep him out of prison, basically. Who's his anointed successor? Has he, do we know yet? No, I mean, the, the famous quote from Churchill is trying to, you know, predict Russian politics is like trying to predict which dog is going to win when it's wrestling underneath a yeah, carpet. Right. So I, I'm not going to make a, <laughs> any kind of prediction on this. It's pretty, it's pretty difficult to tell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he, and he likes to keep a, a tight rope on his image throughout Russia and throughout the world. Yeah. Cause he's only a short dude, isn't he? Yeah. He's not tall. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a master of what, what I call him information policy. He's as a, as a kind of lawyer spy, he knows how to use information. And, you know, you see him, he's basically, he's, you know, swimming with bears. He's riding with, you know, his shirt off and so forth. He's, he's creating a, an image of himself as the strong man, but he, you know, if you, in reality, if he were to be standing here today, he's about five foot four, uh, and he's in, yeah, you know, he's, he's hiding stuff. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's a judo guy, but he's in, you know, I think he runs his politics in a kind of judo style way, but he's certainly not an imposing physical figure in, in person. Get down a, low, go, go, go. Yeah. That's yeah. so true. That, <laughs> he might just have like a, um, skin condition. He just like doesn't like the feel of cotton on skin. <laughs> might be that. Yeah. <laughs> so guys. We're about to send Will out. Have you got any more questions for him about Vladimir Putin? What's the meaning of what was KGB stands for? 
You want to know the, you know the Russian words? Комитет государственной безопасности. And the translation, please? <laughs> state security. State security. The, the okay. Committee for State Security. Can you say it again state. in Russian? Комитет государственной безопасности. Mm. That's why yeah. I didn't ask. Yeah. I, just couldn't, I couldn't say it. На здравия. Three weeks, every day they'd say, Damo, what's it mean? I'd go, get a good voice. Sorry. Try it again. Could you actually put it? Yeah, and I just went, sorry. See you, mate. I don't care how you, could your hats are. Get out. <laughs> Well, guys, Will, thanks so much yeah. for joining us tonight. We're going to get our next expert, and I hope you guys all paid attention because there will be a test. Yes. Oh. So clear. Our next expert, that's not easy to say, to be honest, is meteorologist Nate Byrne. He's the weather presenter on ABC News Breakfast. I got an eerie feeling I know what you're here to talk about, Nate. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about going into some really complex deep quantum physics, probably, and uh, yeah, a, a whole thing about horses. But um, I, I was told I'm not allowed to. I've got to stick to the weather. So um, yeah, we're going to talk about all things clouds, hectopascals, and whatever uh, other words that I don't understand. Yeah, yeah. Well, who knows? Who knows where this journey could take us? There is so much weather to talk about. So uh, I think I think we'll be able to find something. Invariably, with the experts always say, let's start at the beginning. Well, actually, all of the weather starts with the sun. Literally everything is all thanks to the sun's rays hitting the ground, heating things up, making air rise. That's that's how you start weather. Add in a bit of spinning earth and you know, a bit of, obviously, atmosphere and, and a few other things, and, and you end up with, with actual weather. And okay, so how did horses start then? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, not your horse expert. You're going to have to wait. Oh, you, oh okay. You're no. just going to wing it on that. All right. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll just make I'll it up. Yeah. I would actually love to see you walk in when you're doing your weather reports on the ABC on horseback. Well, yeah. <laughs> so would I. And uh, very Putin-esque. Yeah. Right? <laughs> very much yeah. so. Oh, budget cuts, hey, guys. Yeah, yeah. So we should also pay your taxes, make sure ABC <laughs> continues. Now, it always starts with the sun. Okay. Uh, can we talk clouds then? The difference between certain clouds. Yeah, absolutely. We've got so, three comedians here that would have spent a lot of time in the parks just looking up at clouds. You don't do yeah. a lot. <laughs> just, just spending some time gazing up at the sky, yeah. Um, okay, so so clouds all happen because of the sun heating the air and the air rising generally. Uh, there are a couple of different ways that air can rise. It, it either does it slowly or... Or explosively. So if it if it happens explosively, that's like uh, when you heat air and air rises, like a hot air balloon, just goes up in the air really, really quickly. Uh, that kind of cloud or that kind of air, as it moves up, the uh, atmosphere up above your heads is colder and has lower pressure. When air is made to cool down and the pressure decreases. The water vapour it can hold, the amount of water vapour, decreases. Right. right. So it's got a certain amount of humidity in it, and as it goes higher and higher, the relative humidity gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's fully saturated and it can't hold any more water vapour, and then the water vapour is forced out as liquid water, and that is a cloud. So, like, fully saturated. We're talking fully, fully, fully saturated. Of water. You, yeah, you would have heard when it's, like, 100% humidity. That's what a cloud is. So what does it mean when the clouds are moving really fast? You know, like, you just see them scudding along and you just want to chase them. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so th- that's uh, not necessarily related to the same thing, but let's go there anyway. Yeah, that's because I knew it wasn't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's because winds up high in the atmosphere are completely different from the winds down here at the ground. And part of that is because what happens at the ground 
is reversed up in the atmosphere. So we've got a high at the surface. Yeah. Up above it somewhere is a low pressure system. Uh-huh. And we've got a low. Always. Pro- That's always. Yeah. Yeah. And the opposite? Yeah. And when so you've got low a low, there's there. a high up above Hot and cold. Well. Yeah. I've got a question. Are the Simpsons opening sequence, what type of clouds? Oh, perfect. So. <laughs> the slow moving clouds. Oh, the, this is legit. The, yeah, the slow moving air up in the atmosphere ones. They make really long flat stratus clouds. Stratus? Yep. Stratus. Layered. Layered. Is that yeah. not an aftershave the 13 year olds with? <laughs> stratus. So well, that's the Latin name for those kind of clouds. It literally means layered. And then there are lumpy clouds and the explosive upwards air makes the lumpy clouds. And that's the sort of type the Simpsons. in The Simpsons. Yeah. They're cumulus clouds. And I mean, literally, they're like cumulating on top of each other. They're kind of, you know, they're the ones that look like cotton wool bus. How many clouds there? do you know? Like how many? There are about a hundred different types of clouds. So clouds get split into genus. Yep. And then there are species and varieties. There are accessory clouds. There are the clouds that the cloud came from and all sorts oh of st- Yeah. So there are lots of them. Um, two questions. Yes. Number one, can we see some diagrams of what you've just said? Because I've <laughs> it's all gone. Out <laughs> and um, question number two, what's what's fog? Oh, okay. So a nice high pressure system overhead at night lets the temperature really, really drop at the surface. And when the air gets colder, it can hold less water vapor and has to force it out as liquid. Fog. Fog. And Ooh. fog's a type of stratus because it's not explosive upwards movement. Not a cumulus. It's not a cumulus. Mm. That's good. He's got it. I reckon he's going to pass this to you. Use that in the lexicon, didn't you? Yeah, it's good, good. Can you explain to me when meteorologists say a temperature and then say what it feels like? What is the difference? It surely is what you feel is what it is. Nope, nope, not at all. Uh, And that's because of your body doing some crazy stuff. You sweat, right? And when you sweat, because the air isn't at 100% humidity, it can evaporate some of your sweat, and that cools your body down. Right. Right. So if, say, it is a very, very dry day and you're outside, then if you sweat at all, if it's very hot, you'll sweat, and that dry air can evaporate your sweat very, very efficiently. So it'll cool down, you'll cool down, and you'll feel cooler than the day actually is. If the humidity is really, really high, then it's really hard for it to evaporate your sweat right. so you will feel hotter than it maybe actually is mm. <laughs> I, that bit i understand yeah <laughs> no graphs needed jess <laughs> mate thank you for joining us thanks for bringing in the green screen too it was wasted on the listeners <laughs> but we really appreciate it <laughs> i i don't do weather without one to be honest <laughs> that's it yeah. all weekend you walk around with it <laughs> that's it just in case somebody says hey it's hot out i'm like yeah let me tell you <laughs> Give me the clicker. Have I got a PowerPoint presentation for you? All right, bring in the next expert. Well, continuing on the theme of me feeling insecure about my formal education, I'd like to welcome from La Trobe University Associate Professor Rhiannon Evans, and thanks for joining us. We're going to do a bit of a switcheroo right now. I'm going to throw it out to our comedians. What uh, area of expertise do you think Rhiannon is involved in? Um, reptiles. <laughs> Wow. Well, we, 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 we had a, a, an expert in Russian history and politics. We had a, a meteorologist. I think we're missing something like either literature or arts. That's what we're missing on this trio. Okay. Damien? Um, I'm going 13th century Korean pottery. 
wish. Something in the ceramics area. <laughs> yeah. Did you say, I wish? I could only dream. <laughs> Do you want me to tell? Uh, yeah, we can't take the suspense anymore. Okay, I'm a classicist. I work on Roman history and culture and I teach Latin. Ooh. Ivan, you were close, Latin? I was close. Yeah, Wait, you're yeah. Latino. Do you know? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm Latino. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the same. It's all the same. <laughs> so what specifically are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about gladiators in the arena. Oh, here we yeah. go. Yeah. Oh, Chariots and Breaking surround. This is what I call the clang clang genre. The clang clang genre? It's clang clang. Clang clang. Because there's swords and clang clang. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. That's the name of the genre. Clang clang. Oh, yeah, that is the genre. El género clang clang. <laughs> so when yeah. did gladiators start? Oh, well, it goes way back because it comes from quite a sort of esoteric part of Roman culture. It comes from their funeral games that they held to celebrate the dead. So originally it wasn't an entertainment. It was part of a religious ritual where you'd have maybe three pairs of gladiators fighting uh, to commemorate a dead person. It sounds like a weird really? thing, I know. Just, no eulogies, just yeah, stab just, that guy on the wrist. Just blokes who couldn't speak. They were no good at doing eulogies. Just, oh, let's just fight. Let's fight for dad. The Romans would be really insulted. They loved to talk. I know. Then why did they fight? Well, and we think that it was prisoners of war originally. Uh, so it okay. was kind of a sign that you had been able to capture these people. Maybe the dead person had been a general. So yep. somebody had to fight to celebrate their life. And it's uh, cathartic. It's, I guess like, it is oh, my cathartic. God, why? Here you go. Pow, pow, pow. So, were people dying at the funeral? Are the gladiators fighting to the death? It's actually very unusual, we think, for gladiators to fight to the death. So what you see in films right. where people are, you know, they, they all always have a fight where somebody dies at the end. It's very violent and bloody and yeah. there's carnage. Uh, and in the comedy versions, lots of bodies dragged off at the end. Uh, that probably didn't happen, and the reason it probably didn't happen is it's really expensive to train a gladiator. Well, also, it'd be oh, an okay. endless funeral. Infinite funeral. I don't have enough black clothes. <laughs> so the whole like thumbs up, thumbs down thing is wow. a bit of a perfect. Wow. Well, we know that something like that did happen. So mm. what would have happened is if you have two gladiators fighting and one of them's really not trying very hard, the crowd might be asked at the point where the one not trying hard has got a, a sword to the throat. They might be asked, do you want to spare them or not? Now, we know that sometimes they had this thing called missio, which means let them go. And we know it was something to do with the thumb being pressed in some way or turned in some way. So the right. phrase is thumb turned, but we don't know whether that means turned up or okay. turned down. Mm. So... Some people think up means stab him in the throat. Ah, okay. Which is not what we think of by thumbs up. Thumbs yeah. up is a good thing yeah. for us. And some people think thumbs down means put the sword down. Right. And some oh. people think thumbs down means stab him in the, the chest. So we don't know which one it is or if it even really was a up or down. Yep. Just turned in some way. Just movements like a shaka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Take him out. <laughs> It's fine. But we know that, in fact, we know that some people were spared because they, they would write little, this graffiti with so-and-so fought so many matches and was spared in this many and was victorious in this many. Ah, uh, okay. And it, there'll be a lot of numbers. So we know they lived, some of them lived quite a long time. So talk us through how matches. a funeral rolled out. Was it like body would come in? They'd do the eulogy and then some of the family would say, all right, um, there's going to be sandwiches court. down in the hall uh, and then we're going to have the gladiators out in the oval. <laughs> or, was it, or was it in the middle of it? <laughs> like a fate. When do the lions come in? Well, 
The Romans did this thing that I think is very unfair, is that they imported exotic animals, then shoved them into the arena and did what they called a wild beast hunt. So they would put gladiators in with them and say that the gladiators were hunting them down with nets and swords and so on. It's not really a hunt if you're in an enclosed space yeah, and true. they might be chained up. At halftime, um, the Oz kick kids would come out, they'd just be marmosets. <laughs> <laughs> Get that rodent. <laughs> that would be cuter. Yeah, pretty sure that happened. <laughs> and we do know that criminals were sometimes just tied up and wild beasts were let at them, and that oh. did happen to Christians in some yeah, of the right. persecutions. However, never in the Colosseum as far as we know. Never so in the Colosseum? We have no record of that. No record of it happening in the Colosseum. So if you go to Rome, it's all these plaques on the walls of the Colosseum, the popes um, commemorating the martyrs in the Colosseum. The pope has, you know, he has mass in the Colosseum once a year. No evidence, I'm afraid. Yeah, right. Not historically based. What were the chances back in Roman classic days of there being a female gladiator? Could Geraldine have thrown up? Is there, is there any evidence Definitely of that? Definitely could have done. There's a very famous plaque, ah. so an, an um, engraving on stone. And it's a picture of me yeah. and my it, name. It, Jezza. It says yeah. on it, Amazonia and Achillea. Yeah, that's, that's my middle yeah. name. <laughs> <laughs> we know that they were, in fact, a special show, that they would be. They would uh, bring in the crowds to have women. Did it involve yeah. mud? See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, I made a mud wrestling gag there. <laughs> Very nice, mate. <laughs> Thank you. No, yeah, that was good. Sand. Chariot races in there as well, in the no, Colosseum? They, they are in a separate place in the circus which yeah. is the Circus Maximus, the big race course in Rome, is much, much bigger than the Colosseum. With the chariots, were they like Ben-Hur? Were those big gold-plated? The chariots were not like Ben-Hur at all. They were tiny little wicker baskets, basically. They were really dangerous. They had to be as light as possible. So you've got at least four horses <laughs> dragging along uh, a man, and sometimes also he'd have someone guiding him as well. So there might be two men standing on, basically standing on it the just axle. sounds like the Warrigal Trots. <laughs> and but there's charioteers yeah. every chance you would die very young much younger than gladiators yeah right it's really dangerous but incredibly popular much more popular than gladiators yeah. lots oh. of gambling huh. well vomitorians a thing <laughs> yeah there's a kind of myth that the romans overindulged and had orgies and dinners where they ate and drank too much and because this happened so regularly they had to have a specific room presumably with a load of pots in it where you'd go into and throw up afterwards so some a lot of people think that's what a vomitorium is because it's got the word vomit in it there's vomitoriums <laughs> in theaters there is it yeah uh, picture the Colosseum, you know the bits where you're, if you're on the arena and you can see the passageway and the, and the grill would come up and the lions would come out. Mm. So basically it spill, um, it's a way vomit out of the space. So, yeah, the, basically, yeah, it's expelling, it's a means for expelling uh, the audience or bringing cast and stuff into the space. It's certainly for getting the audience out, you're yeah. right. So yeah. it's they could funnel people in and out of all of the ranks of the, the auditorium very easily. And, you know, whether you were at the top because you were at low status, so you'd be kept away from the important people who had the seats at the front. But vomit, it comes from a Latin word that means throw out. So it's a way of throwing the public out of the arena. Oh. They called them human vomit. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. So, Anna, thanks so much for joining us. You were our I-I-I guest, so thank you oh, like for the Roman it. reference. <laughs> hey? hey, this kid's doing all right. 
But now it's time for the test. How are you three feeling about it? Oh, oh, oh. I'm, I'm, I'm in shape. I'm in shape. Hi, sorry to interrupt the podcast at this crucial time, oh, just before the test. But I have a quick and important message. A lot has happened around the world since we recorded this episode. At the time of recording, the comedians on this panel had their Melbourne International Comedy Festival shows on the horizon. Unfortunately, it was all cancelled due to COVID-19, which means a major source of their annual income has completely disappeared. On top of this, because of the nature of their work and employment status, Comedians don't easily meet the criteria of the government bailouts. But there is something you can do. The comedy festivals come up with a clever way to help them out. So pause this podcast right now, go to comedyfestival.com.au, click on the donation buttons and follow the instructions. It's really easy. You can donate directly to the individual comedians on this episode. Remember to search for Geraldine Hickey, Ivana Aristagueta and Damien Callanan. Thanks for that. I know they'll really appreciate it. Now back to the podcast. Oh, and of course, that very exciting test. So now it's time for the test and no expense has been spared on our buzzers. <laughs> Geraldine, Ivan, Damien, do you want to test all of your buzzers? They're all identical. They pretty much <laughs> yeah, sound exactly the same. Different shape. Let's start. Vladimir Putin. What was... Oh, oh yeah. Geraldine? Russian. Oh, she's very good. That's very good. Jeez. What was the former name... Of Vladimir Putin's hometown, St. Petersburg. Damien? Leningrad. Correct. What did Vladimir study at university? Oh, Geraldine? Law. Correct. What in English does KGB stand for? Damien? Did you just have a brain aneurysm? And King is its bum in English. That wasn't even close. I'm going to go with the man whose English isn't his first language. I think so. It's like the Committee of State Defense. It's no? a Committee for State Security. Oh, Give it to him. No. No, our producer says no. Producer no. says no. Jed is a okay. hard taskmaster. Yeah, okay. Well, what is the new KGB called? Damien? FSB. Correct. To stay in power, what will Putin head up in four years? Jez? The... The state security thing, the state. He's gonna. He's the state leader. The state thing. It is a state thing, but I need more information. I, I think the word is council because I, I remember because of I was thinking about a Jedi council and uh, and his Palpatine and uh, the, you the are state corrected. council. Yes, it is. It's yes. state council. He's going to be the entire nation's mayor. Yeah, it's yeah. odd. Like, that <laughs> still, makes sense. Yeah, of course. Except he won't wear a robe, or he will, but no shirt under it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a look. Yes, you can call me Mr. Nipples. <laughs> Imagine that was your official title, Mr. Nipples. Yeah. And at the UN, you had to address him as such. <laughs> All right, Mr. Nipples, put a shirt on. Moving across to the weather. How, and I guess where, does all the weather start? Oh, Jez. I'd have to go with you. The sun. That is correct. I thought it was green screen. And. Crowded house. <laughs> Very close, mate. <laughs> Next question. What is the humidity of a cloud? 100%. 100% is right. Thank you. You were on fire with this, is mm. you? Were and that was the topic in. that I was least confident in. Next question. What does Damo want to do when he sees fast-moving clouds? <laughs> Jez? Run after them. That's so, <laughs> can you give it with a bit more energy? 
run after them. I just want to chase them. That's the bit that got me. (laughs) Now, when does the weather feel hotter, humid or dry? Cheers again. Um, When it's humid. That is true. I couldn't quite follow exactly what was happening, but, yeah, that's the right answer. It's because there's no – when you're sweating, the the sweat doesn't evaporate, doesn't cool you down. Mate, you you picked Mm, up really paid really It was interesting. It was an interesting – I learnt something. What sort of clouds are on the Simpsons? Ivan! Cumulus clouds. That is correct. Because they're the fluffy cotton ball ones. Mm. Um, Technically, sorry – Cartoon. Cartoon. <laughs> cloud, the cartoon clouds. So, uh, next one, moving on to Rome. Okay. Gladiatorial fighting originated at what kind of events, Ivan? Funerals. That is correct. I just squeezed my thing then. <laughs> like, like that was going to help? Oh, yeah, I've got that. What was the main reason gladiators didn't fight to the death? Jez? It's hard to train them. Oh. No, oh, oh. there was a different reason. If, is anyone else? Anyone else want to jump it's in? It's expensive Damien? to train. Uh, they, okay, too expensive oh, to train them. Life insurance policies. It's all about the money. <laughs> what was the one reason the crowd might call for a gladiator's death? Damien? Um, when they weren't trying hard enough. Yeah. They were just being a bit, mm, they were, yeah. What a work review. Mm, no, come, <laughs> on, come on, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> what does the Latin phrase misio translate to? Oh. Let them go? That is correct. Let that them the go. Yeah. And the last question, during Ozkick of the Colosseum, what animals did they run after? Oh, what was it? The um, meerkats? No, it was the other one. Oh. <laughs> M's right. Yes. Yeah. I can't remember. Them. Can you think of it? Uh, uh, Tiny monkey. Mum said. Yes, he's got it. Jess has got it. (laughs) Well played. It's been a tie for second and third place. It was Ivan and Damo and winning Geraldine Hickey. This is heaps better than school. Thank you. Congratulations. I think we've found out who Putin's successor is. (laughs) (laughs) I am am ready to serve. That was was very good. Thank you. Damo, uh, thank you for bringing the marmosets to the show. No worries. My pleasure. Ivan, They've got little you. hats too, Flemish hats. <laughs> <laughs> what century are they from? Late 17. Ivan, now we're a little bit more uh, educated when we're watching The Simpsons. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. It was it was a great – I love it. It's I've learned something. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and Geraldine, enjoy being a dictator. Thank you. <laughs> If you like the show, we'd love it if you gave us a good review. Well, if you didn't, then why the hell are you still listening? Like, honestly. If you'd like to hear more from our experts, look for Associate Professor Rhiannon Evans' brilliant podcast, Emperors of Rome, wherever you get good podcasts from. And you can see Nate Byrne on ABC News Breakfast between 6am and 9am all around Australia. This podcast is hosted by yours truly, Dave Thornton, and produced by the wonderful Jed Wood, with vital assistance from Michael McDermott. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording and we pay respects to elders both past, present and emerging. Catch you next time where there will be a test.
G'day, Jed Wood here. I'm the producer of this podcast. Just a quick message to let you know about our GoFundMe campaign. We really love making this show and we do it as economically as possible, but there are some costs that are simply unavoidable. So if you've enjoyed the show and would like to contribute to help us pay the bills, we'd really appreciate it. Go to GoFundMe.com and search for There Will Be a Test. Thanks so much and we hope you enjoyed the show.